Welcome to this week's Digest edition of the Evening Times, from Thursday the 5th to Thursday the 12th of April 2018, read by volunteers at Q Review Print Speaking to the Blind at our studios in the Bishopriggs Media Centre. Coming up in part one. Drunken louts slash tyres on several cars in Pollock Street during Night of Mayhem. Will our divorce end my pension entitlement? Documentary to be made on mental health and suicide after death of Glasgow rapper Callum Lumo Barnes. Libby MacArthur, Uniform Bank needs your help to clothe Glasgow's kids. Glasgow school attacks, weapon assaults on teachers double. Glasgow high street crisis, city top for store closures in Scotland. Cardia and community safety Glasgow staff to be brought under council control. North Lanarkshire Council has most workers paid over £100,000. HPV cancer vaccine blamed for leaving teenager in wheelchair. Glasgow Commonwealth Games swimmer cleared of rape speaks out. Man arrested after death of women in Kilmarnock. Glasgow's biggest bus firm owners knock back takeover bid. Mary Hill robbery. Police hunt for thug who stole van. Genius or cruelty? Glasgow Airport fake plug socket causes stir. This article from the Evening Times News on the 11th of April 2018. Drunken louts slash tyres on several cars in Pollock Street during Night of Mayhem. This exclusive by reporter Stacey Mullen. Drunken louts wreaked havoc on a residential street in Pollock by slashing several car tyres. The shocking act of vandalism happened on Monday night in Potter Hill Road. Around eight vehicles had their tyres ripped apart by knife-wielding thugs, and now hard-working residents are going to have to fork out hundreds of pounds to replace the damaged wheels. Vandalism victim Denise Coyle, 24, had her tyres slashed the day before she was moving out of her parents' home, which is on the street. She said it is out of order. There is young kids and pensioners who live in the street. What if they seen it happen? They will be scared to leave their house. Folk will end up too frightened to leave the house if they see folk running about with knives. The Evening Times understands that the vandals may have been drinking alcohol in the nearby Ross Hall Park before attacking cars on the street. Potter Hill Road is often used as one of the main routes in and out of the park. It is understood that the vandal struck at around 11pm before bolting from the area when a neighbour discovered what they were doing. Denise's parents, Susan and Stephen, also had their cars targeted, said. I think they've had a drink in them and decided to do what they want. What else can they gain from it? They must have just thought it was funny at the time. It was just put everywhere in a complete downer. One of the car owners is completely distraught as they just got their car back from being repaired. We are going to have to fork out more money, which folk don't really have. I have lived here most of my life and it's never been like this. Govan Cops are now investigating the incident and are expected to review CCTV on the street, a Police Scotland spokeswoman said. I can confirm that police at Govan are continuing inquiries and examining CCTV after eight vehicles of vandalise sometime between Monday night and the early hours of Tuesday morning in Potter Hill Road, Pollock. 
No descriptions were released of the suspects and anyone with information can contact Police Scotland via 101. That's exclusive by reporter Stacey Mullen. The Evening Times on Wednesday the 11th of April 2018 News Section Will our divorce end my pension entitlement? Laying down the law with Austin Lafferty My husband and I divorced quite a few years ago but have remained on good terms. I have retained my married name. I know I am named beneficiary in my ex-husband's works pension. Would divorce disbar me from a receipt of benefits if he died? Could only children have a claim? Pension benefits have an element of discretion as to who gets benefits, as they do not form part of the deceased's actual estate, and so do not fall under the normal will or succession rules. Divorce would normally count against you, as you're no longer married to him. The surname issue is irrelevant. But, if you're able to, get your ex to speak to the pension people himself to establish the position. A retired gent I know moved into a retirement block, hoping for a quiet, comfortable life. He then fell out with a neighbouring couple, who phoned him in an abusive way, with bad language and calling him all sorts of names. Can he do anything to stop this? He can, of course, take out a civil interdict, an order to make them desist and to be punished if they continue. Phone records should make it easy to identify who is calling. But also, he can report the callers to the police as having committed an offence under the Telecommunications Act and potentially a breach of the peace. My wife and I are both 57 this year. We have two children aged 19 and 24. Only the 19-year-old lives at home with us. We have not made a will. What would happen if either of us died before the other? Would the house, etc., automatically pass on to the other? Can you advise who to contact regards making a will, and what would the average cost be? It is likely, though you are best to check, that the house will go to the surviving spouse under a survivorship destination written into the deeds when you bought the house. If the house is in one spouse's name, it will, under intestacy law, pass to the other. For the rest of your estate, the remaining husband or wife would inherit the house contents and also a sum of money before the children had any claim. But it is always best to make a will, as this cuts down on legal costs and time when one spouse dies, as well as allowing you to leave the estate as you've been the law, rather than being stuck with intestacy rules. Cost? Ask a solicitor. It could be from £50 to £150, but you are entitled to a written quote before proceeding. I received an £80 fine and three penalty points on my licence for running a red light on a street in Glasgow City Centre. The camera is hidden behind other information signs. Is it a myth that these cameras should be clearly visible? The guidelines say that a camera should be well signed and highly visible, but there is no excuse in law for going through a red light. This was Laying Down the Law with Austin Lafferty. This article from the Evening Times News. On the 11th of April 2018, documentary to be made on mental health and suicide after death of Glasgow rapper Callum Lumo Barnes. This exclusive by reporter Stacey Mullen. A popular Glasgow rapper who died at the age of 21 will feature in a new documentary which is being made to raise awareness of the mental health and suicide crisis in young men. Callum Lumo Barnes was tragically discovered in the River Clyde last September and his death devastated the hip-hop community in Glasgow where he gained fame through his band 
Dead Sounds Inc. How documentary maker Hannah Curie will show the impact of Callum's death is in a new film which is currently being made. Hannah 28 said the thing that has come clear from making this documentary is that the love hasn't dropped for Callum, the mourning hasn't stopped. Everyone still talks about him all the time, everyone shares his music and photos of him. It is very much still fresh in the minds of everyone in the hip-hop community. A hip-hop event is being held on May the 3rd at the Classic Grand in a bid to raise funds to help complete production of the documentary. The event is called We Are Here, which is inspired by a poem Callum wrote about mental health after See Me Scotland before he died. Hannah, who lived in the city's West End for 10 years before moving to London to complete her master's degree, hopes to widely distribute the film in a bid to save others who are battling with suicidal thoughts. She said the most important thing that Scotland needs right now is to address the mental health crisis. I have suffered from mental health issues myself, and there needs to be a system on how you will deal with the issue, because what you have happened is a lot of people slipped through the net. It can't be helped that they start to see suicide as an option. She said, I have done a lot of research, and in 2016, our suicide figures rose in Scotland for the first time in six years. It is just not good enough. We need to start seeing it as not a taboo thing, because it is one of the most common killers of young people in the UK. We need to start seeing it as a real threat to our friends and family. We need to do something about this, because this could take somebody that we love. That is the worst nightmare. We Are Here will feature some of Scotland's most prominent rappers when it kicks off at 7pm. There will be a rap battle between Loki and Audacity, as well as performances from other well-known names in the scene. Tickets costing £5 are available from www.skiddle.com. This exclusive by reporter Stacey Mullen. The Evening Times, Wednesday the 11th of April 2018. News section. Libby MacArthur, Uniform Bank needs your help to clothe Glasgow's kids. This article is by Heather Stuckert. Dear Evening Times reader, I have a pal who, though the wains have flown the nest, still cooks for an army. Last week she decided to put this to good use to raise money for an outfit, excuse the pun, called School Uniforms North Glasgow. Using Facebook, she invited her friends and family to her open kitchen to partake of wine, pasta and cake. All they had to do was put a tenner in the tin on the way in. The place was stowed and they raised £450. I remember my dodgy semblance of a school uniform. It wasn't the cardboard poking through the stubby wee collar on my yellowing shirt or my brother's string vest visible underneath, nor the woolly thin tie and putty-coloured socks that had lost any elasticity that irked me. It was that my brother had removed the compass from the heel of his pathfinders before I got my feet in them. Donations come from various sources, but exclude second-hand uniforms. Sometimes it's other families who have clothes they haven't used. Sometimes shops donate end-of-line stuff, or some people just give money donations. Although SUNG don't deal directly with the families, referrals can come from social work, food banks, breakfast clubs and even women's aid – Mum's escape might mean that children find themselves at a new school, minus the uniform. There are grants available for school uniforms, but, truth be told, if you're single with three or four kids, the paperwork can be daunting, and it's never enough to cover what's expected. Apart from the uniform, there's the PE kit. We ran the streets of Castle Milk in bare legs and navy knickers. There's the school bags, there's the utensils, 
Never mind the Scottish weather and the need for winter jackets in spring or a growth spurt. It's so important for a school kid not to feel like a walking target. Thanks to my pal and the four volunteers who set up SUNG, this uniform bank is on its way to helping a whole bunch of kids enjoy their education and plan for their future. School Uniforms North Glasgow are only one bank. There are various initiatives like this happening in our city. The Glasgow Council for Voluntary Organisations have set up a course for training advice and support, and it's with their guidance that they can apply for charitable status as a Scottish charitable incorporated institution. In the meantime, to donate www.justgiving.com forward slash crowdfunding forward slash Valerie Gold. That is V-A-L-E-R-I-E-G-A-U-L-D. This week's highfalutin conundrum. A person lacking in good judgment will imminently be disunited from the most common medium of exchange. Last week's highfalutin conundrum. An inclination of the cranium is akin to an inflection of the optical lens to an equine quadruped devoid of the visionary sense. The answer, of course, a nod is as good as a wink to a blind horse. And you know you're old when you catch yourself referring to Waitrose on Byers Road as Prestos. This article was by Heather Stuckert. This article from the Evening Times News on the 11th of April 2018. This article from the 10th of April. Glasgow school attacks, weapon assaults on teachers double. This article by local democracy reporter Eddie Harbinson. Weapon attacks on Glasgow school teachers doubled last year, new figures have revealed. Knives, scissors, hockey sticks and lunch boxes were among the items used by pupils to strike education staff on 92 occasions throughout the city's schools. Primary and secondary school teachers were physically assaulted 858 times up from 576 in 2015-16. And that has left many feeding for their safety, according to leaders, teachers, union and educational institute of Scotland. Susan Quinn, EIS Local Association Secretary for Glasgow, said, This is one of the biggest areas of concern for teachers. We have had a range of teachers who have contacted us after they've been assaulted. We can have very busy weeks but I would say that in terms of teachers reporting it in the past couple of years, it has been a more regular feature. In all centres around teachers having to do more with less, it can also be to do with young people who are in mainstream schools who might have been in other establishments in the past. If the support staff are not in place or there are teacher shortages throughout absence or other means, and if the support plan isn't working properly, it can result in difficult situations. The figures recovered in a Freedom of Information request to the Council showed that staff assaulted with filing cabinets, stones and computer equipment last year, but pupils were also reported to have used items such as paper plates, balls and so-called soggy bombs, wet paper towels, to attack teachers. The FOI revealed that there were 45 instances of pupils using weapons to attack teachers in 2015-16. Items used that year included bricks and chairs, with puppets and balloons also listed as weapons. And there was also 7,489 verbal and physical attacks on teachers between 2012 and 2015. A spokeswoman for EIS said that most incidents recorded in schools were of a low level in nature. 
She added, school discipline continues to be a major issue for teachers, parents and pupils alike. Thankfully, serious disruption and violence continue to be a much less common problem than persistent low-level disruption such as talking out of turn or texting in class. However, it is essential that when serious incidents do occur, they are dealt with swiftly and firmly. This may include police involvement where a teacher or pupil has been physically assaulted or placed under severe threat. Last week, it was revealed that across Scotland there were 428 exclusions for pupil on pupil assaults with weapons, including knives. A further 311 instances involved improvised weapon attacks. The number of secondary school pupils suspended dropped from 842 to 834 while primary school exclusions rose from 238 to 310. That total 1,144 is down from 7,539 in 2007, the largest drop in Scotland. A Glasgow Council spokeswoman said, We have a zero tolerance of any violent behaviour towards staff. Our staff need to feel safe in their work. Children and young people need positive role models in order to improve and learn how to manage their behaviour. This cannot be done in isolation, but needs to be done as part of a school community. That's why Glasgow invests so much in early development and nurturing principles across our nurseries, primary and secondary schools. The council has around 15 campus cops in its schools across the city, in an initiative aimed at improving the educational and social environment for pupils. Despite that, Police Scotland refused to comment on the number of attacks on teachers. This article by local democracy reporter Eddie Harbinson. The Evening Times on Wednesday, the 11th of April, 2018. News section. Glasgow High Street Crisis. City top for store closures in Scotland. This article unattributed. Glasgow had the highest number of store closures in Scotland. Figures for last year show closures have risen to more than five a week across the country, with 53 more closing than opening in Glasgow. Next highest was Edinburgh with 29 and Aberdeen with 16. A total of 290 high street stores shut up shop across Scotland in 2017, a rate of five and a half per week. There were 142 openings, but the net loss of 148 is up 32% from 112 in 2016, and no town has bucked the trend, PwC research compiled by the local data company found. PwC said 2017 was one of the toughest trading periods in years. The Scottish net change of minus 4.48% is the highest in Britain, which has an average net change of minus 2.57%. Across Britain, the closure rate is 16 stores per day. In Scotland, clothes shops led the closure list at a 25.5% drop, followed by travel agents, 17.2%, banks and financial institutions, 14.4%, and shoe shops, 8.5%. Food outlets had the highest increases in net store numbers, with Chinese takeaways rising by 50%, cafes and tea rooms by 28.6%, and restaurants and bars by 8%. Lindsay Gardner, regional chair for PwC in Scotland, said, 2017 has proved to be one of the toughest trading periods Scottish retailers have experienced in years, borne out by a 32% rise in store closures. 
And so far this year, there's been little sign of this pressure letting up, with the beast from the east and ongoing cold snaps taking their toll. This article, unattributed. This article from the Evening Times News, on the 12th of April 2018. Cordia and Community Safety Glasgow staff to be brought under council control. This article was unattributed. Glasgow City Council has begun the process of bringing thousands of workers back under their control again. More than 6,500 Cordia and community staff, Glasgow workers, will be under the employment of the local authority again once plans are formally approved. A report is going to the Council's City Administration Committee for a decision on April the 19th about the future of Cordia and the services delivered by Community Safety Glasgow. Once the plans are given the green light, Cordia staff, which include home carers and skilled janitors, will transfer to council employment on September the 30th. Community Safety Glasgow staff will be earmarked to transfer over to the council on March the 31st next year. The move is made by the SNP administration after the arms length external organisations, ALIOs, was previously set up by the Labour-run Glasgow City Council. Home care and associated services will go to the local authorities' social work services, school cleaners, caterers and janitors, along with in core catering will be part of the property and land services. The HR, finance and business support workforce will be split between the two council departments. The exact transfer arrangements are less clear for the 400 community safety Glasgow workers as that ALIO has a different legal status from the rest. The Council's Chief Executive, Anne-Marie O'Donnell, said the Council has an ongoing responsibility to review its structures and deliver of its services to make sure that we continue to make legislative changes, avoid duplication and deliver best value, efficient and effective services for the City. We also need to consider that the shape of the Council family has changed since the alios was established and new legislation Partnerships have been formed, including the Health and Social Care Partnership with the NHS and the more recent Glasgow Community Planning Partnership. With all this in mind, the recommendations in the report are a result of more detailed business cases that input from all affected areas of the council family and achieve the best operating model for council services. The move have been welcomed by trade unions Unison, who opposed the implementation of ALIOs in the first place. Brian Smith, Unison Glasgow branch secretary, said these alleos are nothing but a combination of tax wheezes, a chance to hammer workers' terms and conditions, and an attempt to minimise equal pay claims. Previous Labour leaders also used placed on alleo boards to hand out sweeties to their pals or control political infighting. Well done to our members for keeping up the fight over the years. The Evening Times has previously reported on the industrial action taken by Cordia, staff overpay and rights. Mr Smith says he, the trade union, now expected significant progress on a number of wage issues. Unison now expects significant progress on a number of Cordia wage issues, including harmonisation of shift pay over rates and public holiday entitlement to those of the council. We will be raising once again our members' concerns over the shift patterns for home carers and indeed the need for more home carers in the city. We will also continue with our campaign for more school cleaners.
Finally, we call in the leadership to bring all the other alios back in house. Cordial worker Francis Moet Stojakovic above had said the move boosted morale within staff. She said this move has given us all a wee boost of morale and our working conditions will be better and we will have all our terms and conditions back. Cordia has been the worst thing Glasgow City Council brought in. The place just went to rock bottom using this alio. Frank McCavity, Labour Group leader, said our position is we should keep services under review as long as it meets the criteria or delivering quality services and job security, we will be happy to support change. Cordia has done good things for the city and won awards for quality. We want to ensure we maintain that quality. We rejected claims that alleys were attacks. Wheeze. Mr McCavity added the council had to create these entities in 2006, but the circumstances have changed. However, taxpayers still need value for money. Background. Cordia is one of the nine arm-length external organisations Alios first set up by Glasgow City Council in 2016. It ran a care division hospitality with its encore catering staff and facilities. It management for schools, public buildings and business. Plans to bring the organisation back in-house were first mooted in early 2016 when Labour was still in power at the city chambers. A review of all council alleys was established. Earlier this year, a report showed that Cordia had a £2 million deficit and the surplus it was expected to deliver to the council. Last year, the SNP said it took control of the council that would overhaul the alleo system and bring back a greater degree of democratic accountability. In February this year, as part of the SNP administration's first budget, it was announced that the council would look to dismantle Cordia, stating it had outlived its usefulness. Last year, the Barclay Review and the Business Rates System recommended ending rates relief for alleos, but the proposal was rejected by Scottish Government Finance Secretary Derek Mackay. Reasons The reasons for Glasgow City Council setting up alleos, including Cordia, more than 10 years ago was financial. They were designed to both save the council cash in areas such as rates and generate income from private contracts at a time when local authorities operated under different financial circumstances. There were concerns about democratic accountability and unions claimed they were introduced to save cash on workers' paying conditions. It has been accepted that alleys such as Cordia should be brought back under full control of the council, but for others such as Glasgow Life, it is unlikely the same move will be proposed. As the financial climate and political attitudes to the public sector changed, the spending cuts began to bite. Alios were expected to deliver the same level of savings and faced job cuts just like councils, while the decisions were financially based. The purpose is to deliver a service, which must be the priority for the future. This article was unattributed. The Evening Times, on Wednesday, the 11th of April 2018. News section. North Lanarkshire Council has most workers paid over £100,000. This article unattributed. North Lanarkshire Council has the most employees on more than £100,000 in Scotland. 
A total of 18 staff were given remuneration packages in excess of £100,000 in 2016-17, according to the 11th annual Town Hall Rich List from the Taxpayers' Alliance. Across Scotland, 222 received remuneration totalling more than £100,000, 10 down on the previous year. As well as salary, remuneration packages can include benefits in kind, expenses, bonuses, redundancy payments and employers' pension contributions. The largest remuneration package in Scotland of £563,862 went to the former finance director of Lothian Buses, Norman Strachan, the third highest payment in the UK. The Taxpayers' Alliance said the publicly owned firm, of which Edinburgh City Council is the majority shareholder, was included in the figures as it remains taxpayer funded. The company's former engineering director, Bill Devlin, also made the UK top 10 highest remunerated employees on number 8 at £430,690. Both left their posts in January 2017 and their payments included £150,000 compensation each for loss of office. Other loss-of-office payouts of more than £100,000 in Scotland include £141,155 to Eastern Bartonshire Council Finance and Shared Services Director Ian Black and £132,721 to East Ayrshire Head of Democratic Services Bill Walkinshaw. Edinburgh Council ranked third in Scotland for number of employees with remuneration packages of more than £100,000 at 16, behind North Lanarkshire at 18 and Glasgow on 17. The Shetland Islands and West Lothian Councils both had 11, while Dumfries and Galloway and East Ayrshire had 10 each. Across the UK, 2,306 council staff raked in more than £100,000, a drop of 60 staff on the previous year. Remuneration packages of more than £150,000 were given to 558 council employees UK-wide. Taxpayers' Alliance Chief Executive John O'Connell said... After years of excess, councils have woken up to reality and are slimming down senior management teams. It's good news for taxpayers that the number of very high earners is falling, but those are still far too many astronomical payoffs for those leaving employment. More than £1 million was spent just getting rid of five Scottish town hall staff in 2017, despite the government's supposed clampdown on golden goodbyes. This article was unattributed. This article from the Evening Times News on the 12th of April 2018. HPV cancer vaccine blamed for leaving teenager in wheelchair. This article by Carolyn Wilson. A mother who believes a cancer vaccine left her daughter reliant on a wheelchair and virtually housebound says parents should be given more information about possible side effects. Karen Dynan, 37, says her daughter Amy, 19, began suffering health problems a week after having the HPV human papillomavirus vaccine at school, which helps protect women against cervical cancer. Experts say the vaccine Gardasil is extraordinarily effective at preventing HPV, which is said to be responsible for around 90% of cases of cervical cancer. The safety and the efficiency of the vaccine has been tested by numerous independent investigations worldwide involving millions of people, which concluded the vaccine had a favourable safety profile. However, Karen, who is from Kilsyth in North Lanarkshire, believes the jab caused her daughter to suffer at least 14 different mental and physical health problems, including extreme chronic fatigue, numbness in her lower legs, constant headaches, irregular heart rate, depression and cognitive impairment. She says her daughter had to leave school 
and has not left the house alone for four years because of mobility problems. While doctors have dismissed the connection between her symptoms and the vaccine, Karen says they have not come up with an alternative diagnosis. She maintains that the packaging for guard cell contains a leaflet which warns of serious side effects, including autoimmune disorders. She said she had been in touch with 76 families across Scotland who have all reported side effects from the vaccine and has launched a support group as part of the association of HPV vaccine-injured daughters, which claims 528 families have been affected in the UK. Karen, who works as a clerical assistant, said at first, Emmy was fainting and said she never fainted before in her life. She became sort of detached from her friends, very anxious and unable to talk to anyone she didn't know. She was in tears all the time. She was very, very tired and sleeping all day. We had thought there was a bullying issue at school, but there wasn't. She lost her appetite and she was missing a lot of school. To this day, she hardly eats. We took her to a counsellor as there was a point where she was having a lot of dark thoughts and we became very worried. She had to leave school, she wasn't getting any work done and she wasn't able to concentrate and they eventually took her into a meeting and said she was at the age where she could leave. She cannot walk unaided, she struggles about the house and crutches because the doorways are too narrow for her wheelchair, which she uses on the rare occasion she is out the house. She is 19 years old now and has not been out the house alone in about four years and it all stems from around the time she had the vaccine. I remember looking it up online and eventually fell into place. She had seen several doctors and I've told them my concerns about it. I haven't seen a single practitioner willing to say it's attributed to the vaccine, but they don't know what's wrong. She's had MRI scans, heart scans, and we are not getting any answers. Immunisation against HPV has been on offer in secondary schools in Scotland since 2008. Uptake has always been high. 9 out of 10 girls choose to get the vaccine. Evidence shows a high uptake of the HPV vaccine has helped to reduce the levels of cancer causing HPV in young women in Scotland by 90%. However, Karen, who is married to John, 48, and also has an 8-year-old son, John Jack, says she regrets the decision to consent to the vaccine every single day. She said the child and their parent or guardian should be able to decide whether they feel the potential benefits of the HPV vaccine outweighs the risk of side effects. They should be given the full facts with regards to risk factors and side effects, as well as actual statistics of proven cervical cancer preventions, in order that a well-considered decision can be made. Unfortunately, this is not the case. Here in Scotland, the child is given a vaccine guide and a consent form, no more, no less. They are not told about the life-changing side effects. Maybe it is reducing the risk of HPV, but it's a sexually transmitted disease and she isn't getting out and having the life a teenager should anyway, a Scottish government spokesperson said since the introduction of the HPV vaccine in 2008. It has been used by millions of girls across the UK and around the world, and comprehensive research has found that it's extremely effective in reducing incidences of the types of HPV which are known to cause cervical cancer. As with all vaccines and medicines, the Medicines and Healthcare Products Regulatory Agency, MHRA, 
monitors and provides advice for the safety of the HPV vaccine in the UK and the vaccine programme follows recommendations supported by expert independent advice of Joint Committee on Vaccine and Immunisation, JCVI. The MHRA continues to advise that the vaccines have a very good safety profile. The MHRA keeps the HPV vaccine under close and continual review and would take regulatory action if new evidence emerged, which called into question the safety of the HPV vaccine or any other vaccine currently in use. We would encourage all those eligible to take up the offer of the HPV vaccine. This article by Caroline Wilson. The Evening Times, on Wednesday the 11th of April 2018. News section. Glasgow Commonwealth Games swimmer cleared of rape speaks out. This article unattributed. A Commonwealth Games swimmer found not guilty of raping a woman who claimed he forced himself on her shortly after she had consensual sex with his friend said the past months have been horrendous. In an emotional statement, Otto Putland, 24, who represented Wales at the 2014 Commonwealth Games in Glasgow, said he was glad to have been vindicated and thanked his family and friends for their support. Mr Putland, of Denadar near Hereford, was first charged with rape after a woman he had sex with in July 2015 came forward in November 2016, claiming he had forced himself on her after she had consensual sex with his friend. Initially, Mr Putland faced two counts of rape, but was cleared of one count following a trial in September last year. That jury failed to reach a verdict on the other count of rape relating to the same woman, who cannot be named for legal reasons, and the prosecution decided to proceed with a retrial, which started at Cardiff Crown Court last Wednesday. After the five-day trial, Mr Putland said, I'm obviously very relieved by the verdict and very glad to have been vindicated, but I can't say I'm elated. This has been going on for 18 months and the experience has been too horrendous, not just for me but my family and especially for my mum. I've been very lucky to have such a loving and supportive family and good friends and I'm sorry for what they've been through. Mr Putland said he hoped they could all now rebuild their lives and that he hoped to be able to do that in privacy. After taking the verdict from the jury of seven women and five men, Judge Jeremy Jenkins told Mr Putland he was free to leave and thanked the jurors for the care and attention they had given the case. The court previously heard the woman went home with the swimmer's friend after meeting him in a club and had consensual sex with him. She said when Mr Putland came into the room and sat on the bed after his friend left, she made it clear she did not want to have sex telling him they could not pass her around, saying no and turning her head away. Mr Putland said this was a lie and actually she was very friendly and happy and flirtatious while they were chatting after he had been introduced to her. He said it was her demeanour which led to him kissing her and she returned his kisses before they had consensual sex. He said the woman did nothing to make him think she was not consenting. The court heard the other count, which Mr Putland was acquitted of last September, related to the woman alleging that she had gone to the bathroom to phone a friend after the first alleged incident, and the next thing she remembered was hearing her phone ring and being back in the bed with Putland inside her again. Mr Putland denied this ever happened. In his closing speech, Christopher Rees said there had been glaring inconsistencies in what the woman told people at various times about the night. She had the opportunity to say no, and she did not say anything, he said. She did not stop it. She did not call out to Mr Putland's friend. She did not call out to anyone at all. From that, you can infer that she did consent, or may have consented. This article was unattributed. This article from the Evening Times News 
on the 12th of April 2018. Man arrested after death of women in Kilmarnock. This article by Maxine MacArthur. A man has been arrested in connection with the death of a woman in Kilmarnock. Around 10.20pm on Tuesday, police were called to a report of a seriously injured woman within a home in Craggy Place. An ambulance crew rushed the woman to Cross House Hospital, but she died shortly after arrival. A 51-year-old man is expected to appear at Kilmarnock Sheriff Court today. A report will be sent to the Procurator Fiscal. This article by Maxine MacArthur. The Evening Times, on Thursday the 12th of April 2018, News Section. Glasgow's biggest bus firm owners knock back takeover bid. This article by political correspondent Stuart Patterson. The owners of Glasgow's biggest bus operator has knocked back an opportunistic takeover bid from a big American finance firm. First Group's board rejected the bid by Apollo Management, a US private equity company. The transport group said the offer undervalued the business and it was unanimously rejected. A first statement said, The board of First Group has considered the proposal in detail and believes that it fundamentally undervalues the company and is opportunistic in nature. Accordingly, the board of First Group has unanimously rejected the proposal. The details of the offer were not disclosed by First. As well as running buses in Glasgow and other Scottish and UK cities, First Group has bus and rail interests in the USA, including the famous Greyhound bus services. The issue may not be over, as under UK trading rules, Apollo has until May the 9th to make a formal offer to take over the company. The international firm has its headquarters in Aberdeen and employs around 100,000 staff worldwide. The news of the bid revealed by the FTSE 250 Transport Group saw First Group shares increase by more than 9%. This article was by political correspondent Stuart Patterson. This article from the Evening Times News on the 12th of April 2018. Mary Hill Robbery, Police Hunt for Thug Who Stole Van, this article by Maxine MacArthur. Police are on the hunt for a man who threatened and robbed a van driver in Mary Hill. Around 1pm on Tuesday, a 39-year-old man returned to his white Ford Transit van on Calder Cult Road when the thug approached him, threatened him and demanded his keys. The man then made off in the van along Calder Cult Road in the direction of Mary Hill Road. The suspect is described as around... 5 foot 10 of slim build with brown eyes. He was wearing a grey top with the hood up and had a black scarf covering his face. Police Constable Lee McIntyre, Community Investigations Unit in Govan, said although nobody was injured, the incident had left the man shaken and without his vehicle. Our officers are checking CCTV in order to try and trace the van and the person responsible, but are looking to anyone who may have any information to come forward. We know there was another older style white Ford Transit van with green writing on the side parked in Witten Street just before the incident and we believe the driver of this vehicle may be able to assist us in our inquiries. If anyone was in the area, perhaps going to and from Maryhill Park, who noticed anyone matching the description or any Ford Transit vans, we would urge you to contact us. Anyone with information should contact Maryhill Police Office via 101, quoting incident number 1445 of Tuesday, April the 10th. Alternatively, contact Crime Stoppers on 0800555111, where information can be given anonymously. This article by Maxine MacArthur. The Evening Times, on Thursday the 12th of April 2018. News section. Genius or cruelty? Glasgow Airport fake plug socket causes stir. This article by Aftab Ali. 
A fake plug socket on a wall at Glasgow Airport has been causing much amusement and stirring debate online this week. The image was shared on Twitter by unamused user Scott Reed. It shows what looks to be a plug socket close to a waiting area. Upon closer inspection, the fact that it's partially torn from one corner gives away the fact that it's fake. Funny, but not so funny if you're desperately looking for a point to charge your phone before boarding. Sharing the image, Scott wrote, There are many different levels of evil. And then there's the person who put this fake plug socket sticker on the wall at Glasgow Airport. I like to think they appreciated the genius. Either that, or they really just can't get it off, he added. Many of his followers applauded the sticker. Let us know what you think in the poll. This article is accompanied by an online poll, which you can vote in at eveningtimes.co.uk. At the time of recording, the votes cast were 464, with the question, what do you think of the fake plug socket at Glasgow Airport? The answers thus. Genius, 79%. Cruelty, 21%. The poll closes on the 30th of April, 2018. This article was by Aftab Ali. This is the end of part one. After a short break, we'll be coming back in part two with more great articles from the Evening Times. This is part two, coming up. British Airways air hostess was ten times legal alcohol limit. Glasgow Commonwealth Games boxer Stephen Lavelle charged with assault. Scots comedian who made it big in the States returns to his roots with role as former stuntman and TV favourite Still Game. Parking charges and business rates blamed for Glasgow's high street downfall. Scottish night owls have more risk of dying than early risers. Carpet right to axe 300 jobs and close around 100 stores. Man who broke into GMB Union Chief's home jail. British woman kissed 22 frogs before finding their prince. Ali McCoist. Police must have the final say on old firm fixture. Gordon Strachan hoping Rangers and Celtic clash passes peacefully. Rangers 4, Dundee 0. Graham Murty's side back up to second in the Premiership after Ibrox win. Brecon City nil, St Mirren won. Twas the night just after Christmas when all the Saints believed. Date of the final Celtic v Rangers clash of the season revealed as post-split fixtures are released. Andy Robertson, thank you Queen's Park for helping me to Champions League semi-final with Liverpool. This article from the Evening Times News on the 12th of April 2018. British Airways air hostess was 10 times legal alcohol limit. This article was unattributed. A British Airways air hostess was more than 10 times over the alcohol limit after being trolled on vodka miniatures on the job. Patricia Casey, 51, downed 8 shots of the spirit while working aboard a BA Boeing 787 flight from Singapore but a passenger smelt alcohol on her breath and the divorced mum of two was arrested at Heathrow Airport's Terminal 5 when it touched down on February 21st. Initially she lied to police. That said, she had drunk while on duty but then admitted she had been silly in having the sneaky drinks. Tests two hours later showed 
She had 201 milligrams of alcohol and 100 milliliters of blood, 10 times over the legal limit of 20 milligrams, followed for air crews. At Upbridge Magistrates Court, she admitted drinking while on duty, ending an unblemished 21-year career as a flight attendant. The softly spoken defendant, who wore a baggy boy t-shirt and hippie style trousers, cried as the court heard she had been self-medicating with alcohol while divorcing her husband for 18 years. Jasper Cower, prosecuting, said at 3.27pm officers were patrolling Heathrow Airport when they were requested to attend British Airways crew reporting centre in Terminal 5. At this location, a member of the cabin crew had been stopped following her flight. Whilst on board, a passenger had complained that alcohol could be smelt on the crew member. She told the court the flight's cabin services manager spoke to Cassie on the flight after being alerted to the complaint. Miss Carr added, Casey claimed she had not had any food or drink on board the flight. But once removed to a private room in the terminal, Casey admitted guzzling the vodka to police. Miss Kerr said she then informed one of the officers that she had a very silly and it was her fault that she had drank four vodka miniatures on duty during the course of the flight. She was then cautioned in a police station blue 81 milligrams per 100 milliliters of breath two hours later, over twice the drink drive limit of 35 milligrams per 100 milliliters of breath. A blood sample was taken and Miss Kerr added it had 201 micrograms per 100 milliliters of blood and the legal limit is 20 micrograms. As a result, she is now before the courts. Your warships. Shan Yequib in mitigation for Casey said she was reported by one of the passengers. However, there's no suggestion that this affected her behaviour. It's simply the case someone had smelt alcohol in her breath and reported her to a member of the crew. She is suspended from work, of course, following this conviction. She will be permanently losing her job. She won't be able to work in the industry where she has worked for the last 21 years. She has been a flight attendant for over 21 years. She has an unblemished record. She has never had any issues in the past for her behaviour. She was going through a messy divorce at the time and she had been in a relationship for 18 years. She has had two children with her partner. She decided to self-medicate and was drinking more than she should have on this occasion, drank at work. She tells me that she is not drinking alcohol now. Casey of Camberley, Surrey was fined £300 in order to pay prosecution costs of £85 and a £30 victim charge. She was convicted of one count of perming an aviation function while impaired by drink under the Railway and Transport Safety Act 2003. This article was unattributed. Article from the Evening Times, Thursday the 12th of April. Glasgow Commonwealth Games boxer Stephen Lavelle charged with assault. This article by Maxine MacArthur. Former Commonwealth Games boxer Stephen Lavelle has been charged with assault after allegedly punching a woman in the face and throwing a glass at a man at a Gold Coast nightclub. Police were called to Sin City nightclub in Surfers Paradise about 3am on Thursday after a dance floor disturbance between the Glasgow 2014 bronze medalist and two 18-year-old locals. The former heavyweight fighter, who moved from the Gorbals in Glasgow to Victoria, Australia, allegedly punched the woman in the face and threw a glass at the man, cutting his face. 
Security intervened and called police before the 18-year-old man was taken to the Gold Coast University Hospital in a stable condition. Retired Jamaican sprinter Usain Bolt was DJing at the venue at the time of the incident. I didn't actually see that, he said. The event was good, it was a fun time. I enjoy DJing. He added that it was just a normal night out for him. Lavelle was charged with assault, occasioning bodily harm and common assault to appear in the Southport Magistrates Court on April the 27th. The boxer was not competing on the Gold Coast, but won bronze at Glasgow four years ago, losing to New Zealander David Light after defeating an Indian fighter and a Welsh fighter. Team Scotland issued a statement confirming Lavelle had no association with its Gold Coast 2018 delegation. This is not the type of behaviour that we would expect from anyone associated with Team Scotland, past or present, the statement read. The charges came after Northern Ireland boxer Sean McComb was fined and banned from the area after an alleged fight with bouncers outside the club on Tuesday morning. This article from the Evening Times News on the 12th of April 2018. Scottish comedian who made it big in the States returns to his roots with role as former stuntman and TV favourite Still Game. This article by Aftab Ali. Former US talk show host Craig Ferguson returns to Scottish TV tonight for the first time in almost 25 years with an appearance in Still Game and he's already talking about a spin-off with show favourite Isa. Jane McGarry, playing her long-lost friend, retired Hollywood stuntman Callum Coburn Isers. Pulse is set to race in a series finale as she returns to Craig Lang. It would be like Frasier, which was a spin-off of Cheers, of course. He said there were people in charge of that kind of thing, and it's their ball, and I don't get to choose, but can you imagine? I think it would be lovely, and I certainly would think about that. The 55-year-old Springburn-born star had been in America for 23 years, but has actually been back in Scotland for a lot of that time, too. What I stopped doing was, I stopped working in Britain, but I've continued to come back to my home in Ayrshire. I'm back there a lot, and I spend a lot of time there. Craig got involved in the smash hit sitcom through being a fan. I'd been a fan of Ford and Greg, still games Jack and Victor, and writers of the series from the days of Chewing the Fat, which was a great show. I ran into them in Los Angeles of all places when they were out there writing the series, and I said, well, you could at least write a part for me. Greg said, well, actually, it turns out there's something we're thinking about. So I said, well, let me know. About a couple of months later, Greg texted me and said, we've written you a part, are you interested? I texted... I'm in. His character Callum left Craig Lang a long time ago to seek his fortune in America as a stuntman. He's now reached a point in his life where he's returning home to check up on his old life and reconnect with old friends, Isa being one of them. I thought Jane was fantastic, he said, when I turned up on the set and met this rather glamorous actress who wasn't yet transformed into Isa. It was amazing. She's a spectacular actress and was very kind, helpful and good fun. The way acting is at its best when you turn up on a set and it's inclusive and helpful and supportive. And that's not as common as you think, but it was just a lovely experience. 
and Jane was just a terrific person. Overall, working with the iconic cast was just delightful. It was such a strange experience, because after the first hour, I felt like I'd been doing it for years. First of all, I knew a lot of the crew, people that I'd worked with in the BBC from ages ago, so I felt very comfortable. I haven't loved doing a job as much in years. Wading through the fourth and Clyde Canal for the final episode was a highlight for Craig. At one point I was thinking Ford and Greg told me it would be easy. We just put some talcum powder in your hair and wear a cardigan and you'll be fine. But there I was, standing in the canal, which is freezing all the time, and I thought, well, this has got a wee bit out of hand. But I loved it, it was just so funny. Not only is the show's popularity down to the fact that it's funny, but the fact that it's honest plays a part too. It has a lot of character and it's sentimental, Craig explained. Scottish people like that. Irish novelist James Joyce said sentimentality is unearned emotion. He's right, the emotion in still game is a real thing. The first time Craig came back to Scotland to work was in 2012 when he bought his Late Late Show over as a trailblazer for Scots Breaking America. Craig said it's time in the States had been a mixed bag. Some of it's great and some of it's tough. But it's where my life is, he said. I'm very grateful to America for the opportunities it gave me. I'm grateful to have done well there and been given a lot of support there. It really changed my life going there. It's lovely. On a final note, he added, Whatever my family is, that's my home. My hometown is Glasgow, of course, but I don't know where home is anymore. The series finale of Still Game is on BBC Scotland tonight at 9.30. This article by Aftab Ali. This article from the Evening Times, Thursday the 12th of April. Parking charges and business rates blamed for Glasgow's high street downfall. This article by Holly Lennon. The decision to introduce Sunday parking and unfair business rates could force more shops to close, industry experts have warned. Developments including the changes in parking, low emission zones, a proposed congestion charge and the national living wage have been slammed by the Glasgow Chamber of Commerce. The business voice has spoken out after findings revealed that Glasgow had the highest number of store closures in Scotland last year. Figures show closures have risen to more than five a week across the country, with 53 more closing than opening in Glasgow. A period of the tough trading has forced a number of businesses to close at a faster rate than major cities, including Aberdeen and Edinburgh. The beast from the east and bad weather have been blamed for the downturn in footfall, but industry experts suggest the situation could worsen if preventative measures are not put in place. In recent months, the city has been hit with closures, including BHS, Dunn Stores, Greaves Sports and the announcement that New Look Men on Buchanan Street will be shutting up shop. The Sockeyall Street fire is also likely to impact businesses in the area, with some unable to open for up to three months and a portion of the street being out of bounds. Glasgow Chamber of Commerce Chief Executive Stuart Patrick said, The primary shopping areas like Buchanan Street are holding up well, but there's no doubt online shopping is impacting on the secondary areas at a faster rate than envisioned. We can't afford to take the city centre for granted. 
and the findings of the report reinforce the importance of exercising caution in any developments that are a disincentive to city centre shoppers or that add costs to city centre businesses. This includes such matters as low emission zone plans, a proposed congestion charge and introduction of Sunday parking charges, unfair business rates and the impact of the national living wage. As previously reported by the Evening Times, the SNP administration voted to introduce Sunday parking charges in city centre streets where it was previously free in February. It will raise unexpected £400,000 a year for council coffers. The increase in parking charges will take the cost of parking in the city centre zone from £3 an hour to £4 an hour. Deputy Lord Provost Philip Bratt said the downfall of Glasgow's high streets has not happened by accident. The councillor for city centre added, Glasgow is the engine room of the Scottish economy. This did not happen by accident. It happened because of a concerted effort between Glasgow City Council, businesses and citizens across the city. Glasgow is the best shopping destination in the UK outside of London. Our city fought hard for that prize and it is a prize worth keeping. I know particularly as the, as the local member for the city centre that these small businesses are often the lifeblood of local communities and critical to our economy. To see such extensive closures of high street shops is deeply troubling. It is also indicative of the current SNP administration lacking ambition for our city and shows that this current administration is neglecting its economic leadership role. Shop owners on Byers Road in Glasgow's West End have previously raised concerns about the rates and rents and say the number of chains on the thoroughfare is causing problems. It comes after Bernard Corrigan was forced to close his fishmongers and historic toy shop Sentry Box closed their doors for a final time. Dr Noreen Siddiqui, senior lecturer in business and marketing at Glasgow Caledonian University, said she was not surprised by the findings. She said internet sales have been surpassing high street retailers for the past 10 years. A lot of the change is to do with smartphones. Most people are now browsing and in most cases they're doing it on their mobile phones. Retailers need to look at how to offer customers a different experience, a more sensual experience and accommodate all of the senses. This could be making changing rooms more appealing and maybe a sharing experience. You can compare parking charges with the cost of delivery for someone shopping online. If online is cheaper, it's usually more convenient. Convenience used to be location, but online has taken that out of the equation. This article from the Evening Times News on the 12th of April 2018. Scottish night owls have more risk of dying than early risers. This article was unattributed. Nocturnal night owls are more at risk of dying than larks who turn in early to leap out of bed when the sun rises, new research has shown. Night owls stay up late but struggle to drag themselves out of bed in the morning. Scientists have studied a population of nearly half a million Britons, found that over a six-year period, owls had a 10% greater risk of dying than larks. 
The difference held true even after adjusting the expected health problems in owls, such as metabolic dysfunction and heart disease. Socially should wake up to the real difficulties faced by night owls, said the researchers. They called for employers to be more flexible towards staff who suffer when forced to clock in early. Dr. Kristen Knutson, a member of the team from Northwestern University in Chicago, US, said night owls trying to live in the morning lark world may have health consequences for their bodies. They shouldn't be forced to get up for an 8am shift. Make sure shifts match people's chronotypes. Some people may be better suited to night shifts. The study published in the journal Chronobiology International found higher rates of diabetes, mental disorders and neurological conditions among night owls. The researchers drew data from the UK Biobank, a storehouse of medical and genetic information provided by 500,000 people aged 40 to 69 from across the UK. British co-author Professor Malcolm von Schantz from the University of Surrey said this is a public health issue that can no longer be ignored. We should discuss allowing evening types to start and finish work later. We are practical and we need more research about how we can help evening types cope with the higher effort of keeping their body clock in synchrony with the sun time. Larks are better able to adjust body clocks to the light and dark rhythms and the rising and setting sun, said the researchers. Owls may have a body clock that fails to match their external environment, said Dr. Knutson. Being an out owl is associated with psychological stress, eating at the wrong time, lack of exercise, lack of sleep or drug or alcohol use. Genetics and the environment played roughly equal roles in determining whether you are a night or a morning person, said the scientists. One way night owls could help themselves was to ensure that they are exposed to light early in the morning, but not at night. According to Dr. Knutson, they should try to be disciplined about bedtimes and get jobs done early in the day, rather than leaving them until late, she said. Dr. Knutson said you're not doomed. Part of it you don't have any control over, and the part of it you might. This article was unattributed. This article from the Evening Times, Thursday the 12th of April. Carpet right to axe 300 jobs and close around 100 stores. Around 300 jobs will be axed at Carpet right after the embattled retailer yield plans to shut another 81 stores and tap investors for £60 million under a sweeping restructure. The chain said 92 overall sites had been earmarked for closure, although 11 have already stopped trading, with the rent on another 113 set to be slashed under the company voluntary arrangement, CVA, proposals being put to landlords. It said it hopes to relocate impacted staff where possible. The group, which employs nearly 2,700 staff overall, also confirmed an investor cash call to raise around £60 million through a rights issue to put the firm on a firmer financial footing. The details came as it revealed a technical breach of its banking arrangements, but the group said it was taking action to address this and to ensure it is amended for the future. Wilf Walsh, chief executive of Carpet Right, said... These tough but necessary actions will enable us to address the burden of a legacy UK property estate consisting of too many poorly located stores on unsustainable rents 
and are essential if we are to restore our profitability and deliver a successful turnaround. We will remain in close contact with all colleagues to keep them fully informed as we move through this process. This article from the Evening Times News on the 12th of April 2018. Man who broke into GMB Union Chief's home jailed. This article was unattributed. A man who tried to break into the home of a top Scottish trade union official has been jailed for more than two years. Christopher Murray tried to enter the home of a GMB Union's Scottish regional organiser, Yud Joe Adigwu. I do apologise, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that name right. However, his double-barreled forename is spelt U-D-E-G-O-E, and his surname is spelt A-D-I-G-W-E. Last summer, unchallenged Mr. Adigwe to the fight in the street after he was chased away. Giving evidence that the child, Mr. Adigwe, had said he found Murray and another person attempting to open the front door of his home in Helensborough at 6.30am, and that Murray had come back shouting and screaming, waving a weapon after he chased the pair off. Murray committed the offence in the early hours of August the 16th last year and in doing so breached a curfew which banned him from leaving his bail address between 7pm and 7am each day. He was sentenced at Dumbarton Sheriff Court after admitting charges to attempted housebreaking and breach of bail at an earlier hearing. He was also found guilty after a trial in February of acting in a threatening and abusive manner in the incident which happened at and outside of property in Craigendoran Avenue. Sentence was deferred until now for a report of a supervised release order to take effect once Murray is released from prison. The latest hearing was told that Murray is currently serving a prison sentence for an unrelated matter and isn't due for release until July the 2nd. But Sheriff William Gallagher imposed a 27-month prison sentence on top of Murray's current jail time and told the 21-year-old that he'll be supervised for a further 12 months when he's eventually set free. Murray's solicitor, Elaine Ray, told Sheriff Gallagher her client had been affected by the death of his brother, apparently from drug misuse. Sheriff Gallagher told Murray, you have a simply dreadful criminal record. You disregard other people's property almost routinely. You disregard other people's safety, as you disregard orders of the court, almost without exception. Imposing consecutive sentences of 14 months, seven months and six months for the housebreaking, threatening behaviour and bail breach, the sheriff added, I think these matters are entirely separate. This article was unattributed. This article from the Evening Times, Thursday the 12th of April. British women kiss 22 frogs before finding their prince. This article is unattributed. The average woman will kiss 22 frogs before finding their prince, it has emerged. Researchers who carried out a detailed study found the journey to find true love is anything but a smooth one for the majority of the population. But where Brits believed it's often more tricky for women to find Mr Right, the research found men will have to kiss a total of 25 prospective partners before finding the one with two in five love seekers feeling they have kissed their fair share of frogs on their quest to find their prince or princess. Greg Tatton Brown from onlinecasinocasumo.com, who commissioned the study, said, Ahead of the royal wedding, we wanted to find out the lengths the average Brit has to go through to find the prince or princess of their heart. 
but for most Brits, it's worth it for true love. The study also found Brits reckon you should have found your diamond in the rough by the time you reach 27 years old. The Evening Times on Wednesday the 11th of April 2018 Sports Section Ali McCoist Police must have the final say on Old Firm fixture. This article by Group Senior Sports Writer Christopher Jack. Ali McCoist believes the police should have the final say in deciding the date for the final Old Firm tie this term. The SPFL have yet to confirm the post-split fixture schedule for the final five Premiership clashes. League chiefs and the authorities are keen to avoid giving Celtic the chance to win their seventh successive title against Rangers. McCoist denied Neil Lennon side the top-flight silverware in 2012 as the light blues clinched a dramatic 3-2 win. The infamous shame game flashpoint between the pair is still recalled several years on and the former Jair's boss insists the police advice cannot be ignored this term. He said, In an ideal world, we wouldn't be having this conversation, but Scottish football, and the West of Scotland in particular, dictates that we are. It's a real shame that the people who will decide are the police. There's no way I'm going to sit here and tell the police what to do, because the police see what happens before, during, and after old firm games. I think it's 100% correct that the police sit down with the SPFL and whoever to decide when the best option is for the game to be played. That in itself is a sad indictment of where we are, but it is where we are. I'm 100% happy with the police deciding. Listen, if I'm Celtic, I want the game on. If I'm Rangers, it wouldn't bother me either, because I would look at it as an opportunity for me to make them wait another week to win the league. The fact of the matter is, though, it will be a police decision. This article was by Group Senior Sports Writer Christopher Jack. The Evening Times on Wednesday the 11th of April 2018. Sports Section. Gordon Strachan hoping Rangers and Celtic clash passes peacefully. This article by golf correspondent Nick Roger. Gordon Strachan is hoping this weekend's Celtic and Rangers match passes peacefully after he was left stunned by the horrible instance in Liverpool last week. The former Celtic and Scotland manager was shocked by the scenes outside Anfield last week when the Manchester City team bus came under siege as it rumbled towards the ground ahead of the Champions League first leg tie between the English giants. Wary of the chaos which marred the infamous Celtic and Rangers match in 1999, there remained sensitivities surrounding the possibility of Celtic winning this season's league title against Rangers after the Premiership split. And Strachan remained sympathetic with those involved, with sorting out the fixture list heading into the latest meeting between the old Glasgow rivals. He said, The Liverpool and Man City game was wonderful, but what we end up talking about was a bus getting attacked. It was a horrible sight. It wasn't a surprise to me because I was on a bus which was attacked with CS gas at a Manchester United v Liverpool game. And I got a brick thrown at the bus. I've seen it before and it's frightening when it happens. Nobody knew it was coming last week, and if you take it for granted, then something like that might happen here. I hope that never happens, but it can. And that's why the government and police think maybe we can't take that gamble. I understand where they're coming from. Yes, we want to promote the football, but the scenes in 1999 when the ref was hit with a coin were ones that went round the world, and we don't want that again. Have we got better? I don't know. But when you see the Liverpool scenes, then you think that I don't want that coming from my country. This article was by golf correspondent Nick Roger. The Evening Times 
On Monday, the 9th of April 2018, Sports Section Rangers 4, Dundee 0. Graham Murty's side back up to second in the Premiership after Ibrox win. This article by Group Senior Sports Writer Christopher Jack, originally published on Saturday, the 7th of April 2018. Rangers have moved back up to second spot in the Premiership standings after beating Dundee 4-0 at Ibrox. The Light Blues had taken just one point from nine as they lost to Celtic in Kilmarnock and drew with Motherwell in recent weeks. But they returned to winning ways as goals from Kenny Miller, Alfredo Morelos, Jamie Murphy and Daniel Candeas earned them a crucial league win ahead of the Scottish Cup semi-final next weekend. Rangers took to the field wearing black armbands before Ibrox fell silent to pay tribute to Ray Wilkins following his tragic death in the midweek. In the Broomlone stand, supporters unfurled an absent friends banner as the light blue legends remembered their former midfielder. After a roar and another blow of the whistle, the action got underway, but there was little the home crowd to cheer though. It was Dundee that had the first chance of the afternoon, but Wes Fodringham was equal to a shot from Rory Deacon. Just seconds later, Miller got a flick on a cross from Candeas, but his effort came back off the left-hand post. The woodwork would later deny Murphy as his cross from the left looped over the head of keeper Elliot Parrish. The ball clipped the frame of the goal, though, and there was nobody in light blue there to convert. After Morelos had put a tame shot wide, Dundee created another decent opening as Sofia and Musa showed good feet inside the area and curled an effort just over the bar. Neil McCann's side were starting to assert themselves, but it was Rangers who would take the lead as Miller broke the deadlock with a clinical finish. Murphy drifted in from the left and found the striker in the area. With little room to manoeuvre, he rifled a shot across goal and beyond Parrish. It was the 38-year-old that had the first chance after the interval, but he couldn't find the target after Deacon's miscued header fell to him inside the area. Just a few minutes later, Miller had another opportunity to double his tally. Once again, he couldn't take it. Rangers broke quickly as James Tavernier set Candeas free and the Portuguese was unlucky to see a low strike come back off the far post. The ball broke to Miller but he couldn't convert as Dundee survived another scare. Boss Murty made two changes in quick succession as Greg Doherty and then Ross McCrory were forced off with knocks. Andy Halliday and Bruno Alves took their places and there was still plenty of work to be done to make sure of a much needed win. Simon Murray curled a free kick just over the bar as Dundee looked for a way back into the game, but their hopes were dashed just seconds later. Tavernier found Candeas on the right, and the winger's low cross evaded everyone inside the area apart from Morelos as he knocked the ball home from close range. That was that as far as the outcome was concerned, but there was still time for Rangers to add to their tally. Morelos was the provider for the third as he nipped in to feed the ball to Murphy, and the winger made no mistake as he fired a shot beyond Parrish. The Jers thought they would get a chance to make it 4-0 when Morelos burst free, but referee Greg Aitken waved away the Colombians' penalty appeals. Morelos was instead booked for diving, while Parrish received treatment before being replaced by Callum Ferry. Murty and the Ibrox crowd were furious with the decision, but they had one more reason to celebrate before the final whistle as Candeas added a shine to the scoreline. Morelos set Duran free down the left, and the midfielder picked out Candeas. He had time to control the ball and pick his spot to cap another solid showing from both himself and Murty's side. This article was by Group Senior Sports Writer Christopher Jack. The Evening Times 
On Monday, the 9th of April 2018, Sports Section. Brecon City 0, St Mirren 1. Twas the night just after Christmas when all the saints believed. This article unattributed. St Mirren goalkeeper Craig Sampson admitted the Buddies' win over Dundee United just after Christmas was the moment everyone started to believe they could return to the Premiership. The Paisley men will travel to Tanadice tomorrow night, needing just one point to seal the Championship title after Kyle McGuinness's early strike was enough for victory over Brecon City on Saturday. At the start of the season, United were favourites to win the Championship and with the prospect of winning the title there in mind, Samson recalled the night when the New Year's resolution in everyone's mind became getting that trophy. Our manager always talks about belief, said Samson, who saved a terrors penalty at the Paisley 2021 stadium before Lewis Morgan netted a brace to clinch the three points. Some boys didn't think we could win it at the start of the season, some boys did. That night was the night everyone in our dressing room realised we can win this league. Lewis Morgan scored two brilliant goals and we just kicked on and went on an unbelievable run that's been impossible to catch. It took Saints just seven minutes to get ahead at Brecon as McGuinness struck a beautiful effort into the far corner after getting on the end of an Adam Eckersley throw-in. At that point, with Morton beating second-place Livingston down in West Lothian, Jack Ross's men knew the trophy could have been theirs. But in the end, Saints arch-rivals succumbed to a late strike from Livy's Alan Lithgow whose second goal sealed a 3-2 victory to put the Buddies' celebrations on hold. However, Samson, who returned to St Mirren this season after leaving in 2013 for Kilmarnock, was hardly downhearted considering Saints were very close to dropping to League One for most of last season. He said the rise to finish sixth last year was all part of their amazing journey. I think the club was rock bottom last year. I don't think it could have got any lower than what it got at one stage last year, said the 34-year-old who won the League Cup with Saints in 2013. Some of the players deserve a lot of credit for keeping the club up. The way they performed from January until the end of the season last year has given the platform to everyone else to go and perform the way we have this year. Without that run, you wonder whether this would have happened. We've certainly carried the momentum on. Former United player Samson doesn't just want to get the job done in Tayside tomorrow for the team though. After finishing in the bottom half of the Premiership in his last three campaigns with Saints, he admitted promotion was also a personal goal when he returned to Paisley. He said, When I left, I had unfinished business. The manager spoke to people before I came back, and that was what they told him. Hopefully by helping to take the club back to the Premiership, it pays back the support I've had while I've been here. This article was unattributed. The Evening Times On Thursday the 12th of April 2018 Sports section Date of the final Celtic v Rangers clash of the season revealed as post-split fixtures are released This article by online sports editor Alistair McKenzie The SPFL has confirmed that Celtic will face Rangers on Sunday the 29th of April after the post-split Premiership fixtures were released on Wednesday Build-up to the announcement was dominated by a potential title decider between the two rival clubs on the first weekend after the split, but the high-profile showdown has been avoided in favour of a meeting a week later. Brendan Rodgers' side instead have the chance to secure a seventh consecutive league championship against Hibernian at Easter Road on Saturday the 20th of April in the first clash of the round. The final Edinburgh derby of the season will take place on Wednesday the 9th of May. 
While in the race for second, Rangers face Aberdeen and Hibernian on the 8th and the 13th of May respectively, while the Dons take on the Hibbies on Saturday the 5th of May. In the bottom six, the clash between bottom two, Partick Thistle and Ross County will take place on Friday the 4th of May at 7.45pm. An SPFL spokesman said, We want to thank supporters for the patience they have shown during the compilation of the post-split fixture schedule. Working with the 12 clubs, Police Scotland and our broadcast partners to produce a set of fixtures that meets everyone's requirements can often be a complex and time-consuming process. But fans can now look forward to an exciting conclusion to the Ladbrokes Premiership campaign. This article was by online sports editor Alistair McKenzie. The Evening Times On Thursday the 12th of April 2018 Sports Section Andy Robertson Thank you, Queen's Park, for helping me to Champions League semi-final with Liverpool. This exclusive article is by Neil Cameron. The mixed zone is the name given to the area of a football stadium where journalists and players are separated by a barrier, literally on such occasions, after the bigger games. The players walk down to one side and stop, if they can be bothered, to talk to broadcasters, radio folk and print reporters. They tend to be busy places on Champions League nights, and even the losers who must just want to get home are bombarded with requests for a chat. Deep inside the Etihad Stadium on Tuesday, media folk from all over the world, plus myself, stood side by side like sardines playing sardines, waiting for multimillionaires to give us their thoughts on what had just happened, which was Liverpool beating Manchester City 2-1, a famous win which took this famous club into their first European Cup semi-final for ten years. As the token Scot in among the thrall, I was happy enough to allow Mo Salah, Roberto Firmino, Kevin De Bruyne and David Silva to wander by without me bothering them for a quick word. I was here primarily to get to one of our own. Andy Robertson was one of the first Liverpool players through the doors. As he made his way down the gaggle of questioners, the Glaswegian spotted me and heard the accent and held his hand as to say, don't worry, I'll get to you in a minute. He's that kind of guy. Before that, the 24-year-old granted every interview request, including television reporters from Brazil, Spain and Holland. He gave Liverpool TV some of his time, he always does apparently, and then even returned to them when they asked him to say something extra. Of course, it's easy to be happy and helpful when you've just qualified for the Champions League semi-final, but James Miller, captain for the night, didn't stop. Neither did Salah or Firmino, and they scored Liverpool's goals in their win. Has he always been such a nice lad? One of the guys who covers the club asks me. I was happy to tell him, yes. Robertson has been a revelation in Liverpool, not only because he's been brilliant on the pitch, but away from it he's one who's never anything other than friendly. No airs, no graces. And he won't change, not even if he wins Liverpool their sixth European Cup and joins an elite group of Scots to get their hands on the trophy with the big ears. Perhaps it's because that, and how's this for coincidence, five years ago to the day of what was the greatest night of his career, Robertson was a 19-year-old Queen's Park player, losing away 2-0 to Annan Athletic in the fourth tier of the Scottish senior game. There were 242 people at that match. I'll be honest, my Queen's Park days and playing in front of small crowds at an empty Hamden feels a long time ago now, Robertson told me with a smile as big as the Mersey about an hour after the win over City. It really does seem like history to me right now, but listen, I'll always remember where I came from. I won't forget what all sorts of people did for me, because you can't do it on your own. None of this changes who I am, or where I've come from. Queen's Park is where I got the basis for my career. It's where it began for me, and I've only got good memories. I owe them so much, and tonight I'd like to thank everyone at Queen's Park for what they did for me, because without them, I might not be where I am. There are good people at that club. 
they did have an important influence on me and everything I experienced there has stood me in good stead. I'll never forget any of it. The same goes for Dundee United. They took me into the Premier League and maybe that was a gamble on their part and it allowed me a bigger platform to show what I can do. This is amazing. This is the best night of my career and I hope for a couple more in the semi-finals. When making my way to the Etihad on Tuesday evening, I happened to walk beside a group of younger Liverpool fans who were loudly singing the name of Robertson in among their ditties about how much Manchester isn't that nice a place to grow up. No other player had a song, not that I heard. They sang about Andy, Andy, Andy Robertson before and after the game as well. They can see what he is. A fantastic player, sure, but one who will never cheat them. He'll run all day, close opponents and bomb up and down the left wing as if his life depended on it. No wonder Robertson, allowed to leave Celtic as a kid, was given a bear hug by his manager Jurgen Klopp after the final whistle. It's an incredible feeling to hear fans sing your name at any game, whether it be 200 at Queen's Park or 50,000 at Anfield, said the cop's new hero. OK, it's maybe a little bit different at Liverpool. Our fans over the legs were magnificent. They really helped us, a real spur to victory, and so a thank you to every single one of them. They've been great with me, and all I want to do is repay them. This is an amazing football club. You think you know how big Liverpool is, but you have to be here just to understand how huge it all is, and what it means to the people. On a personal level, this season's been unbelievable. To come to such an amazing club, to find my feet after a while, and then play the majority of games is such a great feeling. I just have to keep going. We have a big run in until the end of the season, a lot of huge games for us, and we hope to finish on the highest note we possibly can. When I think of the Champions League, I think about Zinedine Zidane's goal at Hamden, so it's a bit surreal thinking I could play in a game as big as that. He added, To help Liverpool win a sixth European Cup would be incredible. There are lessons to be learned from these games. We began slow against City, sat too deep, and we weren't getting to the second balls. That had to change, and we did that from the start of the second half. We played really well after half-time. We deserved to go through. To win 3-0 at Anfield obviously set us up. Mo comes up with another goal and from then on we controlled the game against a brilliant team. Whoever we get, it's going to be difficult. Barcelona are out, but Roma are obviously a great team. But to be honest, who we get, we get. Andy Robertson should be proud of himself and we, in turn, should be proud of him. He's doing just fine. This exclusive article was by Neil Cameron. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of the Evening Times. This weekly Talking Newspaper Digest was a Q&Review recording service production. The readers were volunteers at Q&Review and the producer was Jay Kidd. Q&Review Recording Service Limited is a registered Scottish charity, number SC018016. Our registered office is at 18 Crowhill Road, Bishop Briggs, Glasgow, G641QY. Remember, you can always get in contact with us by email at information at qandreview.com or by leaving us a message on our answering service at 0141 772 3976.